invite you to turn with me to the uh, book of Exodus, chapter 14 is where we'll be walking. First met Moses in the book of Exodus, we find him in a basket or an ark. He is God's prophet. He is God's very word. He is the ark of their salvation. And what we'll see today is that everyone who finds themselves in God's prophet is saved, while those who despise him are condemned. So we come today to the crossing of the Red Sea. And in it we find the pattern of God's salvation of his people in this way. The salvation of God's people is found only by passing through the waters of judgment. As we approach this text, I, I wonder in part, like, how much difficulty and suffering do we experience in life because we refuse to pass through the hard stuff? How many relationships remain strained because conflict is too painful to go through? How many diets or exercise goals fail because the momentary hard prevents all future gain? Now, growth is hard. Maturing requires a resolute will that passes through pain and hardship to increase from glory to glory. And there's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. Glory is found only in passing through. And those who remain or those who refuse to pass through they're destined for smallness, weightlessness, substancelessness. So it is finding access to God. There is only one way, and it is passing through. It is passing through the waters of judgment. Now, some seek to access God by, by accessing other roads, roads apart from Jesus Christ. Others look to Jesus but try to access God by new rules or laws and hoping their own righteousness might avoid Jesus rather than passing through the waters of judgment in him. But in the crossing of the Red Sea, we have the pattern of salvation set for us. There's no way around. We must go through the waters of God's judgment. Now, Israel here has suffered through the book of Exodus and it's been centuries at the hands of cruel Egyptians, but their salvation is at hand. The war has been raged between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt, and now all that remains, the final stage of this war, is to pass through the waters of judgment at the Red Sea or at this Sea of Reeds. Victory, though, seems unlikely for our Israelite people. See, having plundered the Egyptians and been set free by them, they fled into the wilderness. And then we find chapter 14, verse 5, as they go into the wilderness. Here's what we read. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots. And all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Now, what have we just seen is that what we've seen is God has plagued the Egyptians. He's defeated their pantheon of gods. He's decreated the house built in Pharaoh's name. After seeing all that God has done, 
Surely the people of God, as this army approaches, surely the people of God here will remember and they'll be confident that God will protect, that God will deliver them. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The confidence in God exudes, pours out of the people of God, doesn't it? Now, would we be much different? Probably not. The body is trembling in fear. So how will the head act? Verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God's word of command is very straightforward here. He says, fear not, stand firm, see God's salvation. Only what? Only be silent. Only be silent. After all, it's just the mightiest army to the known world at that time, speeding towards the Israelites in their Sherman tanks and their stealth bombers. Fear not. Now, what should we as the reader be expecting as we come to this portion of the book of Exodus? Well, we should expect a new creation, the formation of a new people, Remember, throughout the plagues, what God is doing is he's reversing creation. He's decreating. He's taking hold of Egyptian world, Egyptian creation, and he's tearing it apart. The final plague, which we saw last week, God saves his son, Israel, while he destroys Egyptian sons. So remember this. A people saved must be created anew. We read here looking for a new world achieved by God's people passing through the waters of judgment. In the same way that blood is a doorway to new worlds, so passing through the waters of judgment is the path that must be tread for a new people to be formed. Now verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. The hand. Stretch out your hand. Remember God stretched out his hand at the days of creation and he, he took hold of waters and he separated them, divided them from the waters up above, the firmament and the waters beneath. So here again, God is going to stretch out his hand through the hand of his prophet to divide the waters once again. We are at creation days once again. And the, the, the people are to cross over on dust, on dry ground. We go from the waters being divided by God's hand to now dust from which man is created. A new people will be formed as the waters divide and dust is traversed. Verse 17 says this, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Now, 
what's interesting is that, that we've got the mention of chariots scattered throughout. And those are the biggest war machines of the day. But what I want you to understand, Scripture is aware of those kinds of chariots. But Scripture also refers to the Ark of the Covenant as a chariot. That weird section in Exodus 1, it pictures the Ark of the Covenant as a chariot in all of its glory. It's portable. It's moving. You've got 600 of the greatest war machines at that time against the one chariot of God's Ark of the Covenant. Picture it that way. And we'll see whose battle this is. Pharaoh brings his army of chariots, but God's glory, his glory chariot is victorious. What's the result of the battle to be? God says this, then they will know, then the enemies, then Egypt will know, then they will know that I am Yahweh, that I am God. They will know this. They will see this. They will bow down because he is the victorious one, the powerful one, the almighty. Remember, the aim of the exodus, the aim of this war is not just defeat of the enemies, but it's the right worship of God. Let my people go that they may go and bow their knee to me. The aim, the telos, the end of this war is the bowing of the knee of humanity before the holy, the just, and the glorious God. At the end of this war, God says that he will be glorified, that the enemy and faithful alike, they will both acknowledge that he is Yahweh. He is the true king over Pharaoh, over Moses. He alone is God. He alone is the king of kings. Now, Israel should know this. They have seen his might and his power, but memory is short. And as the earth beneath their feet quakes as these chariots storm towards them, well, it would cause any people to tremble. So God intervenes. Verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Yahweh intervenes. It is the sight of his glory cloud, the sight of his glory fire that stops Egypt in their tracks. God has been leading by his fire cloud. And now God goes behind to go between the enemy and his people. Israel is safe between the sea of reeds and the sea of chariots. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left, down to verse 24. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh, the Lord, fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, films and picture books, they do their best to image this scene, but it's almost unimaginable. It, it stretches our imaginations. It's difficult. What we have is a great east wind commanded by God. It blows westward, right? It's the same wind that brought locusts that caused Egypt to despair. 
these winds then divide the waters so that the Israelites are passing through. It says the waters are on both sides of them, the right and the left. They are like walls. And somehow they're crossing over on dry ground. Children wide-eyed accepting this adventure as their parents lead them through. Neighbors with slave-worn fingers and hunched backs speechlessly inquire of the others with a look both of mingled with his fear and with hope. Moses, their head with raised staff, is leading. The body follows. Judgment has been rendered, and God's people are vindicated in the power of their God. And then the eyes of God look down, and he throws the enemies into mass confusion. What was dry ground for the Israelite now clogs the chariot wheels, and the Egyptians start to take flight. In their best impression of Gandalf, they say, Fly, you fools! Fly! For Yahweh fights against us. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. You can picture it a bit. The rage of God's wrath begins to foment and foam as the waters return to their normal state. Waters from beneath converge with judgment waters from above, and they swallow God's enemies. And so the Bible here goes on to summarize this whole chapter in verse 28 and 9. It says this, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The host of Egypt entered the waters of judgment, and they were condemned. They were destroyed. The army host of Israel enters the waters of judgment, and they stand victorious. They stand vindicated. See, all had to enter the waters of God's judgment, but only those who hid themselves in the prophet of God, those who obeyed the word of God, only they were saved. And this is the pattern of God's salvation through the rest of Scripture, in fact, through the rest of history. What we see from Israel here, from God's people, is that there is obedience they remember God's word. Earlier I read it. This is what Moses said to his people. Here's the command. Here's what they are supposed to do. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you seen today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Isn't that great? What must we do to be saved? And God's first command to them is, be silent. Wait upon the Lord. I will fight for you. I know there's water right behind you and you can't get across. I know there's a sea of chariots threatening to undo you. I know. I see. I come between. Be silent. See, their activity in some ways is passive here. They are to remain quiet in the whirlwind of chaos, to listen for the deliverance of their God we know very little of silence in our society. We know very little of silence in our restless 
hearts. But perhaps we should tread this ancient path of silence from time to time. Rehearse seasons of silence daily, weekly, as a rehearsal, as a practice where we wait upon God in the mundane so that when the host of evil threatens, we trust God to descend in his glory cloud of fire that he will win the day when we remain silent and we rest in his grace. I mean, this story, it shows us the story of God's grace to his people. Salvation is all of grace. They have but to remain silent. As we pass through the waters of judgment, we pass through in grace. We hide ourselves with God in Jesus Christ. It is all of grace. But in this grace, God's people must still act. What are they commanded to be and to do? They're commanded to see. It says, look, behold, see the salvation of the Lord. It's been said that the first act of love is the giving of attention. And that's what God is inviting here. It's like, just see, behold, look for, pay attention. Silenced, we look to the benevolent, all-powerful hand of God. We look for his working and how we come alongside of him. Now, we can't manipulate circumstances to turn out in our favor, though we might try. We can't manufacture a, a painless joy, though we would like it. Rather, we cast ourselves headlong into the fomenting waters of God's judgment because we are hidden in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has passed through those waters before us. He has gone through on our behalf. So in our silence, we trust, rest in the grace of God to see his salvation and we stand firm. That's what else. Fear not, stand firm. How would you stand when you've got an army of chariots approaching? Fear is a powerful motivator. But God's people must stand firm in the face of opposition and danger. To put on the full armor of God, Paul says, stand firm. Resolute in Bible-formed convictions, steeled against storms in worshipful community, strengthened by the rebar of godly habits. Like a tree thriving in the Nebraska wind, followers of Jesus must stand firm. See, as we read the book of Exodus, it, it's, it is a pattern of God's salvation throughout the remainder of Scripture. It forms the language of Scripture throughout all of church history, throughout all of redemptive history. And this crossing of the Red Sea becomes a driving entrance into the new life that is ours in Jesus Christ, the new creation into the head who is Jesus Christ. See, the Red Sea, that was the waters of judgment for the Israelites and for the Egyptians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul refers back to this story. And remember the words that were read for us earlier? As he talks about, as he recounts what happens here, he calls this crossing of the Red Sea, he calls it a baptism. He says, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The imagery of baptism, the language of baptism is formed in this story of the crossing of the Red Sea, which means a few things for us. It reminds us that the waters of judgment and baptism will drown the wicked, but the righteous will pass through in Jesus Christ. We understand that the, the baptismal waters are like flood waters. 
They're like judgment waters. Indeed, they are like death waters. What does Paul say? Whoever is baptized into Christ is baptized into his death, that we might have share in a life like his. However, Christians are not drowned in these waters. We're not drowned in these death waters. Why? What is the ark of our salvation? Who is the ark of our salvation? It's because we're baptized into Jesus Christ. As Paul says, Israel was baptized into Moses. That's God's mediator, God's prophet. And so we today are baptized into God's mediator, God's prophet, who is Jesus Christ. We pass through the waters of judgment safely because Jesus, who is our head, has gone before us. Now, the point of this story, of this sermon, is more than helping us to read our Bibles well, to read them faithfully, and, and to see the imagery true. But this story is given to Israel. This story is given to us in order that we might stand firm, in order that we might not fear, but rather in our silence we might look and see God's salvation. Now we won't get into chapter 15, but the first half of chapter 15, it's Moses singing of God's salvation. And this is what he sings. It's the very words that we sang this morning. They were on our lips as well. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Those are words that we can take upon our lips confidently, faithfully. Later, Israel will anticipate going into exile for their rebellion. And yet they will sing with Isaiah as God says to them, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. He says, When you pass through the waters, what I will be with you. And the waters, they won't overwhelm. They won't overcome you. Why? For I am the Lord, your God. So, we today echo Paul's words, where he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. So we soak in Jesus' words, where he says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we anticipate the glorious day when all of Christ's people will sing the heavenly refrain that we find in Revelation. He says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that is the end. That is the aim of this crossing and of our crossing. The telos of all who pass through the waters of judgment in God's mediator prophet. That one day we might drink of God's living water. Now our story concludes this way in verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. See, the war is won and worship is given. God is creating a new people who will dwell in his holy house, who will worship him on his holy mountain, who will be fed in his holy sanctuary. But there is no access granted except what? except by passing through the waters of judgment. 
This is the pattern of salvation from the days of creation through our entrance into the new heavens and the new earth. So all of God's people throughout all the generations and all the nations will sing with Moses in our lips and our lives. We will sing, the Lord is our strength and our song. He is our salvation. Because Jesus not only passed through the waters of judgment at the Jordan River, he was baptized with fire on the cross. He was given over to the wrath and judgment in order that we too would pass through the waters vindicated in him. That we too would pass through the fire refined in him. See, he is our strength, our shield. Jesus Christ is our song. And yes, this is all of grace. There is no way around but only through. We are saved passing through God's waters of judgment because we pass through in Jesus Christ. We, the body, must follow our head. And ours, ours is to remain silent and to see the salvation of our God, to not fear, to stand firm, because Jesus has passed through the waters of judgment before us. And he is raised to reign that we might pass through in him to reign with him now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given yourself to us through Jesus and that he has passed through the waters, enduring your wrath, your judgment, your condemnation, that we might find in him life, that we might be hidden and found safe in the glory of Jesus Christ. So we pray now that this word, as it goes forth, form in us the image of Jesus Christ, that we might bear that image to a watching world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.